Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. And before we get into the meat of the episode here, I just want to thank the listeners. It's episode seven now, and we've got a nice uh, contingent of you out there listening to the podcast, and Christian and I are just really appreciative of that. And we want you to know also that you can feel free to interact with us about the podcast, and especially if you have an idea of a piece by Bach that you would like to hear us talk about, check out to see if that piece is done by the Netherlands Bach Society, and if so, then we could totally do that in a future episode. Yeah, we want your suggestions. We have plenty of ideas, but we know that people have their favorite Bach piece, and we want to hear what yours are. One favorite of a lot of people is the Mass in B minor, which we touched on just briefly on the very first episode. But of course, we want to do other movements of that piece in the future. Another one, another huge Bach work that the Netherlands Bach Society is really known for doing every year is the St. Matthew Passion. And you can look forward to episode nine pretty soon here in two weeks. We'll be talking a little bit about that work. So today's moment is from Bach's motet, Jesu Meine Freude. What you just heard was the ending of one of the movements of Jesu Meine Freude. It has 11 movements, and it was a choir-only piece. That's not that common for Bach. Usually there's some kind of instrumental stuff happening with his music. But here is a motet, which basically just means a piece that was written for multiple voices to sing, multiple vocal parts to sing. And in this, you have usually around four, but sometimes three, sometimes five different parts happening together. And in the recording that we're going to link in the description, like we always do from the Netherlands Bach Society, you might notice as you see, although it's hard to hear, there is an organist playing along with this. That was pretty common, I think. And and you might have string players also playing and doubling the voice parts to help the vocalists along. But as you'll also see, because these performances from the Netherlands Bach Society are always such high quality, it seems like this choir has got things under control. They are amazing. Yeah. And the the organ just serves to sort of give them a little more volume of sound. But when you listen, it's almost hard to hear it. The first time I listened to this whole thing, I have to admit, I was not even noticing the organ. I was just hearing the wonderful interplay of the voices. And of course, you can't get any of the consonants and vowel sounds on the organ. So you really are hearing these wonderful German consonants a lot with something like this, with a piece like this. It's just a lovely thing to hear. I want to go over the very beginning of this and show you what the words mean. 
Jesu meine Freude means Jesus my joy. The very beginning of this piece is translated like this. Jesus my joy, my heart's pasture. Jesus my treasure. And that's just for the first movement. What's great about this piece is it has a wonderful structure. We hear 11 movements. All the odd numbered movements are based on a hymn text, which is basically poetry, talking about our need for Jesus and how he protects us. And then all the even numbered movements are all from the epistle, Romans, and it's just scripture text just sung in German. And the way that the themes of the hymn and the scripture text are put together is really cleverly done by Bach here. Well, who wrote this beautiful music in the first place? Because did Bach write this tune? Well, not really. Johann Kruger wrote this tune before Bach. Johann Frank wrote the text of it. And now we have Johann Sebastian Bach arranging this all together. Three Johans making this beautiful music together, <laughs> uh, all at different in different generations. And we have a lovely melody here written by Johann Kruger. And it sounds like this. Oh, that's very simple. That's the first line going down. Oh, now we have something going up a little more. Three lines. Then those lines get repeated. Then at the end, you have three more lines. A lot of times composers would do groups of three in a reference to the Trinity. Even though we call this the minor mode, this piece has a minor sound, and it does not have a major sound typically. We associate major with happy and minor with sad in a very broad sense, that's usually true. But most of the time in all of these movements, the very end of it, the cadence, which is when a musical phrase ends, like the end of a sentence, like the period at the end of a sentence, the cadence at the end of these movements would usually be a major chord. And that would sound a little more hopeful. We love to hear these hopeful moments in music. This was very likely written for the funeral of the Leipzig postmaster's wife. Leipzig being the place where Bach worked for much of his life. And would have been uh, very comforting to hear this music at this funeral we have these epistle lessons, basically, in the even-numbered movements of this work. In movement two, you have a little bit about how if you are walking uh, in the Spirit with Christ Jesus, then you are saved. In movement four, it says, For the law of the Spirit, which gives life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Straight from Romans, right? From Paul's writings. Would have been something very comforting to hear at a funeral. Also, just a very... Lutheran point of view to say Jesus has died to pay for the sins of humans. Therefore, we are free from the Old Testament law, which says we deserve death for our sins. Jesus has atoned for that. That is a central Lutheran teaching. Uh, the family of this woman who died would have been comforted to hear these words. It's the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. That's part of what makes this music so meaningful besides just the beauty of the music. Now, 
Now, some of the different movements have different numbers of voices. I talked about this a bit before, but let's hear a little bit of that. Here's movement one, the very beginning. What you just heard was a choir singing the words Jesu meine Freude, but you heard four separate voices. We may not think about this when we listen to classical music that has polyphony, which means multiple melodies happening together, but it's really quite remarkable. If you heard that top voice sing, the soprano, the highest voice, it sounded like this. But this time, listen for the alto voice also. Here's how the alto voice sounds. Now let's hear it. Now I'm going to play for you the alto and soprano voices together. The alto voice is a little lower than the soprano. And that's two out of the four separate voices that are happening. This is probably why people really love the complexity of Bach, because really, you could take any of these voices from any part of this, and it would be a beautiful melody all on its own. But Bach took this existing melody, put it in the soprano voice up at the top in this particular movement. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes composers wouldn't. Sometimes they would. But all of this stuff comes together, and it just flows and weaves together to make this beautiful music. Here's how the tenor voice sounds all by itself. Now that's a little bit harder to sing. Typically the tenor part in Bach music tends to be pretty tricky. It's got a lot of little jumps and leaps in it. Here's how the bass part sounds. Now let's listen to the bass and tenor voices together. Now try listening for that tenor voice when you hear the choir sing it. Remember, it sounds like this. And listen for that as we hear the choir. And now I will play all the voices together on the piano here. Now let's hear that again in the voices. Hopefully I've equipped you with a new way to enjoy choral music, and really any music that has polyphony like this, but try and listen to the inner voices. Usually there's some kind of interesting melody going on there, especially if you've already heard the piece once and you like the melody that's easy to hear. Try and listen to some of those inner voices. It's usually a fun little musical exercise makes you appreciate stuff a lot more.
Now, in the second movement, we have this sudden exclamation of nothing. Nothing. Nothing damnable in those who are in Christ Jesus is the text here. And we have it proclaimed strongly in these beautiful little exclamations. I love also movement four, how we suddenly just get soprano, soprano, and alto. So all women's voices here, more high voices with the sopranos being split like that. And you have them singing this text, for the law of the spirit, which gives life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then right away in movement five, we get a big contrast with all the voices, including the male voices singing defiance, defiance to the old dragon of sin, right? And it's the word trotz, which is just this German crunching sound with all these consonants. It's what gives this music so much flavor. And then you have this very affecting moment, the word tobe, which means rage. Rage, it's saying, rage, world, and attack me, but I stand here securely singing about God's peace. It's like saying, yeah, come at me, world. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> the word attack, is also put on a really high note in the soprano right after this rage. Uh, you hear the rage in the bass, like, like in this low notes, and it's just exciting. And the end of that is God's strength holds me in watch. Earth and abyss must fall silent, however much they might rumble. Or earth and hell is another way of looking at that translation. Might fall silent, however much they might rumble. I am secure, which I think is just a powerful statement of faith that goes along with these pieces of the uh, epistle text, the, the Romans text that Paul wrote in the letter to the Romans. And then in movement six, it kind of ends on a sad note, textually and literally a sad note. And what I mean by that is, the text says, you, however, are not of the flesh, but rather of the spirit. Well, we heard about that before too, didn't we? Since the spirit of God lives in you. Anyone, however, who does not have Christ's spirit is not his. That's definitely a sad note at the end there, talking about unbelievers. And the music reflects that. We talked before about how Bach usually ends these movements on a major chord in a sense of hopefulness. Well, this is the exception. In this piece, he ends that on a minor chord. And we also talked about how all the odd movements are from the hymn. You can always hear that Jesus priceless treasure or Jesu meine Freude, Jesus my joy, whatever you want to call it, that melody happening in the odd numbered movements. In movement seven, which is another one of my favorites, I mean, look, most of these are my favorite. It's hard to it's hard to pick. 
Um, we'll get to number nine in a bit, which is, is my real favorite. But in, in number seven, we do get that hopeful sound at the end. It's one of my favorite hopeful major chords at the end, and it sounds like this. And what you just heard them sing is, although I must suffer much, never part me from Jesus. Movement eight has only lower voices in it. We have altos, which is the lower female voices, and tenors and basses, only three parts. And then my favorite movement, movement nine, which starts with this text. Good night, existence that cherishes the world. You do not please me. Good night, sins, stay far away, never again come to light. We are saying Gute Nacht or good night to our sin here. And we almost get a little lullaby thing happening here. Soprano one and soprano two, so the high voice is split alto and then tenor but no bass here so it's a lullaby and it doesn't sound like it has a lot of foundation to it the tenors are singing what has to be called the bass line because there's nothing else under it which is this kind of plodding along moving thing And the altos interject every so often with the melody. It's almost hidden in there. See if you can hear it. Try and listen for those lowest female voices. And my favorite moment, the end of this movement. Well, remember how we always talk about, is it going to be a hopeful major chord? Or is it going to be a sad minor chord? Well, here's what happens. We got neither of those. Instead, we all ended on the exact same note, on the A. It's definitely unexpected. To me, it gives this feeling of just purity and almost silence. It doesn't sound major or minor. It doesn't sound hopeful, but it also doesn't sound that sad. There's a lot of room there to, for that to be interpreted however you want. The words that they were just singing, good night, pride and glory, to you, utterly, life of corruption, be good night given. Yeah, it's also a really sparse way to end. And you, you said unexpected, but it's so stark and bare. And in this context, maybe it's like fading away into the night, you know. Very unusual in this period of music history for a piece of music to end all in a unison we would call we would call everyone ending on one note like that 
you would always expect there to be some instrument or voices or something that gives us more notes. And like you said, a major chord or a minor chord at the end. But we don't get that here. Then the 10th and 11th movements, while they are very beautiful, I won't play them for you now. I'll let you experience those on your own. I encourage you to do that. This is a very powerful piece, something that's beautiful to hear. Uh, and it's tw- it's pretty much exactly 20 minutes long. Listen to it on some nice speakers or on your headphones. One thing that I want to talk about quickly is just the virtuosity of the writing for the voices here. I mean, this music, and this is a lot of Bach vocal music, it can be beautiful and lyrical, but it could also be very choppy and hard to sing. It's almost like he was just writing for a violin or a flute or whatever, these instruments that could do all these more facile things. And the the voices voices just have a harder time with that. There's hardly any vibrato also on the notes that are sung in this style because you just almost don't have time. Usually you need a longer note to sustain some uh, some vibrating sounds like you would expect like an opera singer to make or whatever. This music just doesn't sound like romantic opera or anything like that because it's a lot more movable and it's a lot more jumpy and you have to be ready for all these unexpected notes. It takes a really really fantastic singer to be able to pull something like this off. Yeah, it's very hard. And uh, like you said, there are no separate instrumental parts in this piece, which is a good distinction to make because we talk about Bach cantatas a lot. And then one thing that that separates those is that those are almost always uh, multi-movement long works that have separate instrumental parts written out, strings, oboes, whatever. And this isn't the case for this motet. This has 11 movements. We call this a motet instead of a cantata for that reason, because this is more thought of as like a strictly a choral work, and it shows off what you can do with the choir. And also it has five parts at the the most, which is really something. Generally speaking, when you think of choir music, you think of soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and that's four. And in this piece, you have a lot of movements that have two soprano parts, which means you have five parts, and that makes the music all the more slightly intricate and nuanced in terms of its different lines moving against each other in what we would call counterpoint. Right. And if you've never sung in a choir before, it is a magical experience, truly, because let's say you're an alto voice. You get in there, you learn your part on your own, but then when you get in a room with all these people, just to be a part of that experience, to be that inner line, or even to be that higher or lower line, whichever line you are, uh, and to hear the music all interlocking around you while you are singing the part that you practiced, uh, it's just a very special experience. I would encourage anybody who has any inkling to do something like that to try out singing along with choirs. I mean, right now, obviously, we're in the pandemic season still, but hopefully soon you'll get a chance to do that at, at your church or something like that. Um, If you haven't given that a try, it's really a special experience, especially if you have a great teacher and a great conductor. Yeah, choral singing is so good for the like your mental health and everything. It's just so so good to um, be a part of something that's happening like that. And we love uh, we love to sing this kind of music because even though Alex said Bach's music is a little like almost vocally angular and mechanical in that it's jumpy and goes really fast and it's not like opera singing really in terms of luxurious tone or anything like that but to be a part in a choir of something so technically beautiful you know is just a really great experience and also every part has its own unique function so i sang tenor in the in uh 
Jesu Minafreude once at, at UCLA with the Chamber Singers. So I had some really hard stuff to sing. And Alex's favorite movement, number nine, is the one where the tenors have what we call the bass line. And the basses have to sit there and not do anything. And to have, to just be able to sing something that has different things like that, where sometimes you're right in the middle, sometimes you're on the bottom doing a more foundational role is really intellectually challenging and really fun. And also because this is Baroque music, every part has a special role. And like Alex said, the soprano part has the melody a lot, the top soprano part often, and the bass part in all of Baroque music, the bass part has its own very special foundational function that the composers definitely knew about. And in that in that ninth movement, the tenors have that bass function. And we'll get into that in a future episode, but the role of the bass instruments and voices in this era of music that we're talking about on this podcast is huge. This was Bach's era of music, and only a hundred years before his time, that the bass line was sort of invented in a general sense. So we don't always think about that as being a thing that maybe once didn't exist, but, uh, but it didn't. Yeah, so many great innovations by Bach and his contemporaries that kind of brought us into the classical era after that. And one thing I just want to say too about the inspiring beauty and the inspiring power of music, when you are in a choir or when you hear a choir, it is a metaphor for community. I always say this to my handbell groups too, but it's it's definitely true for singing in a choir. Anything that has harmony. I mean, I heard on the radio, I heard Cindy Lauper's song, time after time the other day and I was just kind of like you know what this is really cool you have her voice and a male voice singing in harmony it was like close harmony and it just struck me after probably hearing that song many many times it just struck me like there's a metaphor here when they're singing in harmony it's like they're cooperating it's like they're getting along it's like they agree on the lyrics which in that song is about like commitment to their love for each other you know kind of a typical pop song type thing but it's really beautiful to hear it because it's a musical metaphor. Yeah. And so when you're hearing this piece by Bach, when you're hearing Jesu Meine Freude, it's not just that you're hearing people proclaim this gospel truth. It's that you are getting to see a group of like-minded people who are musicians, so they probably know each other and they probably, I mean, they all enjoy Bach. Obviously, they've committed to learning this difficult music and all this. So you're seeing the community. You're seeing the camaraderie there. You're seeing the agreement there. And when you hear a bad performance, on the other hand, or when you hear things that don't sound together, then it's a metaphor for like, and these people don't get it. They don't work well together. They don't act, they don't get along. And this is why, I mean, this is one reason why a bad performance of music is just so jarring. But I just think that that's an important aspect of really good music making is that it shows the audience a really positive message about community and that we agree on this message that we're sending yeah and now here is the ending of gute nacht o wesen from the motet jesu meine freude
If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this motet, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Jesu Meine Freude by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. We also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a website, so please check those out as well. Okay, Christian, what moment are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going to look at the opening sonatina from a cantata called Gottes Zeit ist die allerbeste Zeit, God's Time is the Very Best Time, a cantata that's also known by the name Actus Tragicus. Nice. Well, until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>